Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Musical Connections, a podcast about music from Newfoundland and Labrador. I'm Zach Snow, your host, and this is episode 51. Our next to connect this week, we'll be connecting with the one and the only Jim Fiddler. We're going to be talking about his brand new album set to be launched December the 8th, titled RPM 2, 10 Years Later. And it is a sequel to RPM 1, which was released back in 2013. We talk all about that, plus his upbringing here in Newfoundland and Labrador to the reggae scene with Pressure Drop, as well as some of the albums that he has worked on are some of the best to come out of this province. We're going to cover all that on Next to Connect, and we'll get there right after this week's newfound releases. And no better way to start out newfound releases this week than with the one and the only Alan Doyle. He has a brand new album set to come out next year. Here's the title track of the album, which is set to come out early 2024. This is Welcome Home on Newfound Releases. When there's a will, oh, there's a way. When there's a bounty for the take. And the hungry are the first to put to sea. There's a story and there's a song. Before the going, become the gone And the melodies that haunt our hearts and dreams We'll sing to us while we sing Welcome home Welcome home, 
that is Alan Doyle from his brand new album set to come out next year, the title track, Welcome Home. We now go to a musician who is talked about quite a lot, and he's worked with people all the way on the other side of the world. It comes from Jacob Critch. Here's his new tune. This is Riz You Up, right here on Newfound Releases. You want me Quit lying to yourself about it You looking like a snack, I'm hungry Sit back, let's have another one, another one, yeah On the floor, want it more Yes, you stand across the way, way On the floor, want it more Baby, let me slide right now If you're ready for more If you're ready for more Tell me, can I raise you up? with Riz You Up. And now we go to Toronto-based but Newfoundland-born artist Mozzie. And it is the stage name of Matt Cook. And it is the first of many songs to come from him. And I'm looking forward to see what you have in store, my friend. Right now for Mozzie, here's his new tune. This is Longview. We took a ride to the lakeside Your shades on
Mozzie for you on newfound releases with Longview. And we wrap up with a song from a collaboration album that is coming out or has already been out through CD or digital download. It's called A Trinity Hall Christmas. Of course, another album done by the great team over in Winterton, Silly Cove Records. And what a fantastic album it is. And it was hard to choose a song from this week, so I had to flip a coin. And here's what I landed on. Right now, here's an artist that Greg Wells has put a lot of stock into. Here's Summer Bennett with Secret Santa on newfound releases. Secret Santa, why don't you tell me the truth? No, it's anonymous, but could you give me a Just promise me that you will be puts a bow on newfound releases for this week i'm looking for songs now that'll be coming out between november 12th through to the 18th and if you want to qualify here's what you need to include first you need to include the song file that means either in wave or mp3 form to uh send it over to me to have qualified for the segment 
and you also need to include some impressed photos as well so that way i can use them on social media platforms such as facebook and instagram and i like to promote what new releases are coming out each and every single week so landscape or portrait works and the last thing are production credits and a little bio about yourself so production credits in this case would be the name of the song the artist the album it's on and the composers so make sure to have that all into me the sunday before the podcast drops on that tuesday so i hope that all makes sense once again i am looking for songs that, that are coming out between november 12th to the 18th it is now time to transition over to the second half of musical connections it is next to connect and we are connecting this week with singer songwriter producer and the multi-talented jim fiddler we talk about his upbringings here in Newfoundland and Labrador, his relation with Christina Aguilera, plus the amount of work that he has done in the music scene for almost four decades, or over four decades, I should say. Um, so some of his work includes Pressure Drop, his own solo material, as well as working for artists like The Masterless Men, The Celtic Connection, Great Big C, Atlantic Union, and a whole lot more. The main reason I got him on this week is to talk about his upcoming album set to be launched December the 8th called RPM 2, 10 years later, and it is the sequel to RPM 1. We cover all that and more on Next to Connect as we connect with the one and the only Jim Fiddler. Alrighty, welcome back to Musical Connections from the Root Cellar Studios here in St. John's. This is Next to Connect, and I'm your host, Zach Snow. Well, joining me right now is a Newfoundland and Labrador music legend with over four decades in the game. He has produced albums for himself, as well as his reggae band, Pressure Drop, which he was in during the late 80s and early 90s, as well as some of the best albums that Newfoundland and Labrador has ever seen, from Masterless Men, Celtic Connection, and Great Big C, among others. Well, joining me now to talk about the sequel to his RPM album that he put out in 2013, titled RPM 2, 10 years later, is the one and the only Jim Fiddler. Jim, hey, how you doing, buddy? Hey, how's it going? Good to be here. And uh, great to have you here. Uh, Good to have and, you here. Yeah, absolutely. And in your uh, home studio, I mean, looks looks amazing. It is. It it took a lot, though. Over over years, you know, a little uh, add-on here, add-on there. Keep up with the with the technology and get the tools that I need. It, it takes time, you know. It takes a lot of pebbles to, to, to make a mountain. <laughs> for sure now um i just want to ask this right off the bat um congratulations on releasing rpm 2 10 years later uh how does it feel to finally have a brand new record out feels good always feels good it's like giving birth you know you got you got that that gestation period and uh you know you got something in you that's growing and then to have it finally out and uh well i mean you don't you don't really get that uh, those baby compliments until the until the child is born, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. But of course now, uh, now you got you got a, a child to raise. That's the thing. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Now, um, of course, uh, I want to go back to like your very early days in music because you were born in Pennsylvania but you were pretty much born and raised here in Newfoundland and Labrador. You moved here when you were, like, really, really young. Well, I was conceived here. My family's from here. Like, uh, we've been here since the 1700s. We, uh, my uncle was the harbor master of St. John's for 20 years. Oh, wow. My family, uh, the Stones in Trinity North, built 
some of the best scooters in the world, including the Norma and Gladys, which is kind of like Newfoundland's Blue Nose. For Nova Scotia, they got the Blue Nose. We got the Norma and Gladys. My family built that. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Now, uh, what got you into music in the first place, Jim? What got music into me? <laughs> what got you into music? So uh, what inspired you to pursue music as a career? Well, it's it's in the blood. So it was there inside of me since very small, very you know, uh, since I was a very small boy. And yeah, it was just a matter. I guess it's the matter of, you know, when, when we say to people, what do you want to be when you grow up? As opposed to asking them, who are you and how can we help you grow up? You know, it was already there. So it would be the thing for like a lot of people. Put that away and go do your homework. Uh, and then people end up in jobs that they don't like because the thing that that's in them already, their, their inborn God-given talent, whatever that is, gets suppressed and, and then they end up being an accountant or something instead. Uh, I was just blessed to, uh, uh, through a series of uncontrollable circumstances such as losing my sight, uh, that, that, uh, that probably helped give me the final push I was also a visual artist. I was drawing and sketching and, and dabbling with some painting and things like that uh, when I could see. But, you know, uh, music is sound and uh, loss of sight doesn't necessarily influence. Uh, it's not a loss of sound. So that that probably had had a bit to do with pushing me in the direction of not becoming a psychologist or an accountant or or whatever <laughs> wow that's pretty crazy now um when it comes to the music you've made i mean your production style like you pretty much make it effortless i mean when you lost your sight at like uh at eight or nine years old you um you pretty much took audio and really made it your mission to like you know really hone your craft and perfect it and like just from what you produce you make it seem effortless well i started out recording when i was i don't know about six or seven something wow. like that with tape recorders you know just with the punchy buttons on the front record and and you had to hold down the record button and crunch down on the play you know <clears throat> cassette tapes and i was even monkeying around at least by eight i know for sure because i've got recordings of it doing like multi stuff so <clears throat> my, my old trick when i was a kid was to uh, like tape a song off the radio. And I put the two tape recorders together and I play the song that I taped off the radio. And I worked out how close to get into the second recorder to blend my voice with the music so that I was covering over the singer in the song and I was playing it for my friends saying, you know, that's my band and stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So even back then, uh, and I've got recordings here because I, I kept everything, all the old tapes, and I, I've digitized them over the last few years. So I've got recordings of singing and playing and drinking tea and talking in the kitchen with my buddies <laughs> and having a few beers and all that stuff. i got tapes. I've got recordings going back to, like, 1973. Wow. Yeah. So I've been at it for... That went from two tape recorders to, you know, uh, ghetto blasters, boom boxes, I guess people call them. Uh, eventually I was using two cassette machines. One, one I still have right behind me here, the, uh, Alpine, of course you guys can't see that, but 
Yeah, the Alpine. I used that one. I got that in, I think, 84. Wow. And my friend John had a, another tape deck. So we I would record, like, drums. And then I would patch that over into the second machine while I was feeding the drums over from machine one to machine two, I would play some bass. And then I would have on machine two, I would have drums and bass. Then I would feed that back over to the first machine again and play some guitar. And then I would take the guitar, bass, drums and feed them back to the second machine again and record a vocal. So I was doing a lot of that in, you know, 84, 85, 86. Uh, in 83, I recorded an album with a good friend of mine, Bob Boudreaux, who, uh, who's, we just lost not long ago. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, we sold, I don't know how many hundreds of those, but that was, that was using a, uh, I think it was a, uh, I think that was using a TIAC, uh, recorder, a four track cassette machine. And I also got one of those at one point in 86 or 87 or something like that. Wow. So it goes back a long ways. And then, you know, getting into the studio and recording on two-inch tape and, you know, all of that stuff. And then all the way up through uh, ADATs and then eventually using um, dedicated machines like the Roland VS-1680 and then the v Roland VS-2480. And then going inside the box with uh, sonar and now uh, samplitude. So it's uh, it's wow. It's been a long been a long journey. That's crazy. Now, um, one of your first uh, forays really into music, uh, of course, uh, one that you really like put you on the map was uh, the reggae group Pressure Drop. Now, of course, uh, back in the eighties, like a lot of the music was coming out was like hard rock and roll. Of course, you had the wonderful yeah. Grand Band. Yeah. You had Twelve Gauge TNT. Yeah. And then you had uh like Tradax, like Simini. That were really making it big, yep. as well as like the Bay Boys and stuff like that. But um, reggae was something that really like wasn't produced much in Newfoundland and Labrador at all until Pressure Drop came on the scene. So uh, tell me a little bit about how Pressure Drop really came together. Well, we had a group called PTR in the eighties, and it was part-time reggae. So okay. we did reggae and some ska and and things like that, like the English beat and Stiff Little Fingers and all that stuff as well. But uh, I recorded a single, uh, it's a vinyl disc, a record, a 45, <laughs> uh, in 1990 by myself. Uh, this was after PTR had disbanded. And uh, I got Emily Knight in to do the, 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 the backing vocals. I heard her sing uh, Black Velvet down at the Rosenthistle one night. I, I, was, I knew I needed somebody to, to do the harmonies on that and... She was she was the girl, so got her into the studio. We went into Echo Studios uh, on Logs Hill, uh, and or I went in, I should say, and made that record. Pressed all the, the the discs and all that stuff. So there I was on vinyl, and I felt kind of lonely. And I it's it was a reggae song called "Great Big World," song that I wrote, and uh, so I contacted a couple of the guys from. PTR, and there were a couple of other people. There was a bass player that I jammed with that that we really uh, we really jived with each other, Fred Murphy, and uh, a friend of mine at the time, Sharon Hines. She was playing with a group called the Village Idiots, uh, and uh, she was a keyboardist. And uh, she didn't know reggae, but I brought her in, 
kind of helped her with with what she needed to do. Fred didn't play any reggae bass, thought it was all upside down, so I showed him the bass lines and told him where the one was and, and, and where the one wasn't and, and all that. And uh, uh, he picked that up. And, uh, yeah, I rang everybody up. I, I, I had the name in mind, Pressure Drop, because I wanted to do something... PTR was a really fun band. Anybody who remembers that band, we had a lot of good times. Uh, but I really wanted to do something more serious. You know, I didn't want to so much do the ska thing. I wanted to do more roots reggae and something more thinking about the message of the music. But I really wanted, I had the idea that, you know, pressure drop in the world, but also pressure drop on a Friday or Saturday night. People want somewhere to go. Uh, they've been working all week, going to school all week. And they just want to go down to the loft, you know, 250, 300 people packed into the loft. Actually, we used to have more than that. We'd be literally lined up all the way down the stairs and, and, and out down the sidewalk. Wow. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, really, uh, there were uh, a couple of other acts at the time. But if you talk to the guys from Great Big Sea, for example, they'll tell you about Pressure Drop. And how they used to sneak into the gigs and stuff. And it blew their minds. I mean, it, it wasn't just a bunch of guys standing around with their thumbs in their pockets watching the band and, and some girls out dancing. Everybody, including the staff, you know. Just, I mean, that's the power of reggae music, you know. And it brings people together. And it was the idea of pressure drop, you know. Let the pressure drop and, you know. One good thing about music, when it hits, you feel no pain, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's that was the whole idea of Pressure Drop. And uh, I remember Sharon asking me one time on the phone, she said, well, what are we going to do with it? What, what do you plan on doing with this band that, that you're asking me to join? I said, well, first of all, I want to put out an album. She's like, what? We go down and play the bars and stuff. You want to put out an album? I said, yeah. Uh, I want to appear on Much Music. She's like, what? I said, yeah, and I want to play at the Bamboo Club in Toronto, which is the, like the top reggae venue where Marley, people with the name Marley play. Wow. And tic-tac-toe, we did them all. That's crazy. And then on top of that, after busting my knee one time when we were in Toronto shooting for the, uh, the national TV show Ear to the Ground, and it ended up being Knee to the Ground, um, while, while we were there doing that, I busted my knee and we had to reshoot it, uh, the next year they flew down, wow. they flew down here, they flew a crew down here and we shot it, uh, here in Newfoundland, which is a better thing to do anyway, I think, mm -hmm. than shooting it in Toronto. But yeah, we, we, that was when we, when I was laid up with my knee, not knowing whether I'd ever play the drums again or if I'd ever be able to walk again. The whole second Pressure Drop album called From the Inside Out, I formed the whole album in my head. Every bass line, every, every note, every horn, all the horn parts, the harmonies, the rhythms, the melodies, the counter melodies. I had the time on my hands. And uh, so that's when, when I convinced the band under much consternation to... Uh, for us to, to buy an ADAT, an A-track machine. So that, that whole thing, including Gypsy, which was as soon as Pressure Drop actually fell apart, <clears throat> Gypsy was the album 
uh, that I did after that. And that was all recorded on an 8-track, eight 8-track eight ADAP, all that stuff. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty crazy to believe that. I mean, um, of course, when I think of uh, that album, of course, two of the big songs that came off that record were The Rhythm of the Goat and Downtown Girl. I mean, um, The Rhythm of the Goat, The Navigators covered in 2002, yep. and then The Irish Descendants did a version of Downtown Girl in 2007. Yeah. Um, and the early 90s really like were a big time for Newfoundland and Labrador music. I mean, you had the likes of The Irish Descendants, Yourselves, you had Figgy Duff still on the go. Yep. And uh, a lot of these bands and big names were getting featured on Much Music. And also getting signed to labels like EMI. Yep. Of course, uh, you looked at Kim Stockwood and Dabden and Doyle. Great Big C themselves and Ron Hines. Yeah. Um, it was a pretty good time for Newfoundland and Labrador music. It was huge. The summer of 88, the double daylight saving time, much music came down and basically declared that we were like the new Liverpool. Wow. And that was, that was the bands all at the time. This was PTR, which would become Pressure Drop, and from from PTR came Pressure Drop and Jim Fiddler, for example. Uh, there was Open Road, which which became Rollins Cross. Wow. There was the, the guys, uh, you know, all that stuff. Uh, uh, Dennis Parker, uh, just a whole whole lot of stuff at that time. That became all that's that became great big c that became pressure drop and jim fiddler that became uh all these other things and i was playing with a bunch of these different people like at that time i was i was playing with uh rankin street slash great big c i was playing with uh uh john whalen you know which would be bung after that uh with the with a group that we had at the time I was playing with Michael Bryan and Tony Richards, the Dr. Cod, Roscoe, the Jim Fiddler Jug Band. <laughs> um, wow. I was playing with the PTR, the reggae band. I was playing solo at the at the pubs downtown. So I was playing, I had my fingers in a whole lot of pies at the time. Just not through any kind of uh, career ambitions or anything, but because... Music was my life, and that was it. So I was available to play drums here and guitar there and, and banjo somewhere else and, and whatever at the time. And there was a, there was a bar down, at, uh, down on Duckworth Street called Bounders. And I remember the summer of 88. Uh, we were all together in the one place. This was before everything was broken up into separate categories. So all the, the Dave Pantings and the Sean McCann's and the Daryl Powers, and the Jim Fiddlers, and the Terry Stones, and the John Whalens, all, all these people that later on would be all in separate categories, filed in different uh, genres and all that, we were all together in the one place, hearing each other, dead reckoning. We were all together in the one place, playing and listening to each other, having a draw, having a few beers, and we weren't all split up. It was after that that everything fractured and split up. But that summer of 88 was really, I think, St. John's St. John's is, uh, summer of love, really. That's crazy. So, like, the 1967, of course, remember, I'll remember that as a summer of love, where Psychedelic Rock was at its peak. Of course, with Sgt. Pepper coming out. Yeah. And I believe Pet Sounds came yeah. out uh, just before Sgt. Pepper. Yep. And, uh, so 1988 was really 1988 was like a really big year for yeah. St. John's and the music scene we in moved, general. They moved the clocks ahead two hours, uh, so we had we had extra extra daylight. So I mean, 
the times we had the the barbecues the the, the parties the we had we had uh, two hours of extra light yeah i think that's another next to connect for another time because we can go all day on this and that was the sprung greenhouse too i wrote a song back then called sprung Sibelia. Wow. Implying that they maybe shouldn't be growing cucumbers. They could grow something else, you know? <laughs> now, one of the other hats that you take on is producing. And uh-huh. uh, you produce some of the, like, when you think about, like, the 1990s, um, you look at the Masters Men's O to Age album, which you produced. Yeah. Of course, you went down to Torbay, uh, Torbay, Dur- Dermot O'Reilly. To Dermot Studios, the Studio. Stock Studios. Yep. And then you uh, produced Calvert's Dream for the Celtic Connection in 1994. Yep. And um, I believe you arranged some of the songs on Great Big C's first album? I actually was producing that really yeah yeah so did uh production and arrangement on that and gail tapper as well the primary harpist of the uh newfoundland symphony orchestra at the time and la kayla and uh atlantic union and Eamon dylan the five-time all-ireland uh, illin pipe champion uh and actually recorded kind of an all with an all-star cast uh, a version of barrett's privateers at the same studio in Toronto where they recorded uh, T- Tears Are Not Enough. Wow. While taking part in the multi-million dollar Mervish Productions Needfire show, which did two runs at the Princess of Wales and the Royal Alexandra Theatres in Toronto. That's insane. Now, um, I want to go to um the production side of things because, okay. um, of course, you put out some of your stuff on your own with the Pressure Drop and uh, your solo career. Okay. Um, what do you enjoy about producing for other bands that really, like, you know, get you to you know you know craft uh the style that you're really known for well i'm not known for a style that's the main thing i'm known for really is is just music really um because you know well what would my style be would it be reggae would it be rhythm of the goat would it be downtown girl would it be rpm would it be up that river would you see what i'm saying yeah i mean like when it comes to the trad stuff probably like say the Downtown Girls, Rhythm of the Go kind of stuff. Uh-huh. But, like, um, when you produced Ode to Age and Calibre Stream, uh, this, you were still crafting that sound at the time, right? Well, I wouldn't say I was crafting a sound. I was saying I would say that I was using the tools that were available to me, uh, to my be- to the best of my ability, to, to capture the sound as accurately as possible. Yeah, that's that's fair. And, like, what you do when, you, when it comes to doing that, you're really good at it. Well... Thank you, but but that's on purpose. You see, it's 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 not an accident. People, people who do anything—electricians, uh, electronics technicians, uh, radar people, police officers, truck drivers, uh, whatever, what whatever whatever you do, you <clears throat> you want to do the best job you can. So you want to have the right boots for the job. You want to have the right uh, power tools uh, if you're a cabinet maker. So. It's really just that. It's just get the best tools you can. Yeah, you you want to use the best tools available, and that's not always the most expensive or the newest either. Sometimes the best thing for that vocal you're recording is a is a fifty year old mic microphone. Sometimes, so it depends on what you're looking for. It's like painting. Which brush do I use for that, and what what you how how do I mix my colors? If you're limited. And you don't have any choices whatsoever, then you work with you know you go with what you got, and of course the number one most important thing is what are you recording in the first place? Does it have merit? Is it good music? Is is that is that uh, 
thing that you're shooting uh, the the photograph of is it is it a good image you know because if it's garbage in it's going to end up garbage out if if you use a million dollar microphone or a million dollar camera yeah like it's kind of like the best example of like you know do what you got but how do you do for so for like what you have how do you use that thing you have to make something you know that a five thousand dollar microphone would do versus like Anyways, I don't know what I'm getting at here, but uh, well, here's the thing. It's more with less, really. Here's here's the th- here's yeah. People people have all these things they talk about, all these sort of philosophical issues, you know, uh, analog versus digital, and all these things, opinions and whatever. But quite honestly, if you've got a good if you've got a good subject, it's going to be better if, if you take that ten dollar microphone and record Caruso singing on a ten dollar microphone. Compared to your uncle Ned singing on that ten dollar, Caruso is is the singing is better. So the better, the more accurately you can record Caruso sing, the better. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta start out with something good. You're either recording something good; it's either good or it's not. Yeah. No matter what you record it with. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, you might as well have the best you can to record. Just like if you have a photocopier. You know, if you're making copies, if you got a, a picture and you want to make a copy of it, you want when when you scan it and print out a copy, you want the copy to look as much like the the original as possible, right? Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it, really. Yeah. And then there's arrangement with the music. The better the arrangement, the better the singing, the better the playing. The, when you put the microphone in front of somebody, sometimes you want uh, to use a a, condet- a more sensitive microphone. Uh, and really take a sound picture of the whole face. Other times, you you want something less specific, and you just use you know something like a, a dynamic microphone, and maybe place it closer. It really, really all depends. Yeah, for sure. Now, um, I really want to fast forward here to 2013 because that was when you put out the first uh, RPM album that you yeah, put out. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about RPM and uh, where the idea of that album really came from. Well, my good friend Rod and I were sitting around here listening to quote-unquote concept albums like Thick as a Brick, The Wall, Crime of the Century, uh, you know, whatever, so-called concept albums. And one night we were listening to The Wall. We listened to half of The Wall, and I said, okay, that's enough. I, I see what they're doing. I can see a pattern there. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and he was like, what? We're not going to listen to the rest of it? That's Pink Floyd. I said, yeah, but, you know, anyway. And I felt a little bad the next day. He said, more or less, well, you know, you say you see a pattern. You, you know music, and, you know, he just took my word for it. But I felt a bit guilty the next day. So I came in here, fired things up, grabbed a cup of coffee, and I just whacked out this song sort of off the top of my head, just made up a song called Mr. Man. You know, hey there, Mr. Man, you know, up on the stage, wiggling his bum and, <laughs> all, that, all, all that stuff, you know? And I sent it to him. I said, see, I just wanted to show you that I, you know, I wasn't just talking through my hat last night. I, This is the kind of thing, it, you know, you go up, you go down. I could see what they were doing with the dynamics. And he was like, yeah, but this is a good song. Yeah. And, and and I said, well, geez, thanks. Okay. Then the next day, I whacked out the second track on it. Uh uh, Mama's Little Boy just again just made it up as I was going along just boom 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 by Monday 
I figured I'd just keep going. And then so many months later, it was done. And uh, so it's all kind of in the st- in, in the spirit of, uh, it's, it's like a classic uh, 70s sort of concept album. Um, influenced by the Ruttles. Uh, the idea being that you can do stuff that's not uh, like a parody of a song or, or a group, but you can do something music in the spirit of somebody. And it's almost like that Beatles song that never existed before or that Super Tramp song that never existed before. So it's all done like that. So I, I remember when, when it was first done, people really digging it, but feeling re- really apologetic, saying, well, you know, it remar- I don't want to say it, but it reminds me of, of, of Moody Blues and it reminds me of Super Tramp and it reminds me of, you know, all these things. I said, well, no, no. Because a lot of times with, with people feel like if they tell a musician that they sound like somebody else, that's a bad thing. But this was all done on purpose. <laughs> <clears throat> so so this, 10 years later, it's all about a fictitious character called Mickey Finn, which comes from the old speakeasies during Prohibition. So you go into a speakeasy. Uh, you weren't allowed to sell alcohol, but you'd, you'd get into a speakeasy. You'd, you'd be drinking away. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the old bathtub gin days. And uh, this this uh, one speakeasy owner, Mickey Finn, in I think it was Chicago or or St. Louis. I think it was Chicago. Okay. Uh, he would he would slip something into the drink, and then when when he noticed that uh, his his patron was getting rather drowsy, he'd have a couple of his thugs, uh, re- uh, got, you know. Lead him out to the back room and relieve him of his watch and his wallet and his all that stuff. Oh God, that's called being slip slip the Mickey. Right? Oh wow, being slip the Mickey. So, the idea of picking Mickey Finn as the name of our protagonist in this this fictitious thing is, I th- it starts out with that as a as a as a child looking at the TV, seeing Elvis or. Uh, the Beatles or or anything, and that kind of desire—it's like a drug. It's like being, you know, given a drug so you can get hooked on it, and then the drug dealer can keep selling you more drugs. <clears throat> it was like all of that sort of uh, lust for fame and fortune is like being slipped to Mickey because ultimately, if we follow our protagonist Mickey Finn throughout Volume One and Volume Two, we'll see. That he got, he got his fame, he got his fortune, and he came to realize that it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all as great as it seemed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, um, RPM Two Ten Years Later is the brand new album that you got out, yep. and uh, once again, congratulations on the release of it. So, what is going to be different from this album versus the RPM uh, you put out in twenty thirteen? What's going to be different is when the first one was over, there was there was nothing else. Now you can keep listening. <laughs> And it's right; it dovetails right along with the first album. Even the le- even the 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 volume level, everything you can. And and I didn't do this on purpose. It was when the second album was done ten years later, on all totally different equipment. I we we said okay, we don't know what to expect here, but let's cue them up and just let them play one right after the other, and it just flowed right in. So what else is next for you? Um, are you going to be doing like a little show? Of this uh, to promote the new record? No, it's uh, this isn't a. Uh, I didn't put together a, a, a live band. I, I made a made a record. 
So the the record, the music will be out, the recording will be out there in the world for people to buy and listen to on their loudspeakers, on their earbuds, on their headphones, and all that stuff. And I mean, I won't say that that would never happen, but that's not the intention, you know? Uh, you know, I have a studio and I work in the studio, like an artist, you know, doing paintings. Am I going to go on tour with my, holding my paintings up or whatever? Or in fact, if I did that, it, it wouldn't be the paintings. It would have to be prints. It would have to be sketches. It wouldn't, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be the album. Because when I mean, you go you go around playing live, you come to realize pretty quickly that a lot of venues don't sound too good. A lot of venues, the PA systems are inadequate, whatever. So you get your own gear. I'm not. I, I'm just little old me. I'm not an octopus. I can't play all all the instruments to, at the same time. So the work that would go into trying to find all the musicians to play the music on this album, for one thing, where would I get the money to pay them all, even even to rehearse it? It would be crazy. Yeah. And, of course, with the, uh, with the goings-on uh, the last couple of years, with the... Uh, with the <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, that's still not worn off. And that took a... The whole live industry and touring or whatever took a big blow. And I think uh, they're, they're, they're planning on lowering another boom at some point in the near future. So, yeah, I, <clears throat> I, I'm not... Just, just like I'm not investing in the stock market, uh, I'm not going to invest all my time, effort, and what little money I have into trying to uh, find ten or twelve musicians right now and be their psychologist and their whatever and and their employer and their tour guide. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is kind of like the intention of what you want to like have the album out for for people to listen to for people to enjoy it's a recording yeah what are you touring your podcast <laughs> um what are you going on the road and getting up on stage I, <laughs> you know what uh, i mean <laughs> no you're right you're absolutely yeah. right yeah that, that's true that's true it, it's a recording Someday, maybe you never know it's but it, it, it is a rec- it's intentionally and deliberately a recording that's true that's true and because i have all the brushes that i have and, and the colors that i have I painted, you know, the painting, and uh, then we make prints from it, which are what people download and what the CDs that people buy. But yeah, that that's really what it is. It's this is this is uh, even years ago. Like I love the whole idea of playing live, and and uh, that that immediate gratification where when you finish the song, it's yay, and everyone claps and all that. That's great. It's good for the ego. It makes you feel good. Gives you a reason maybe to get up the next day and do it all over again. Yeah. But, you know, I, I've been around the block a few times and I don't need that ego reinforcement. I don't, because for me, it's all about the music. It's not about me. And in fact, even RPM 1 and RPM 2 are more about Mickey Finn, you know, uh, informed by my experience and the experience of others that I've heard through decades of interviews and things. So he's a composite, really. Mickey Finn is John Lennon, is Mick Jagger, is Roger Hodgson, is Eddie Grant, is all these people rolled into one, really. And so that... I'll tell you what this would make, for sure. Lillian has said this several times. This would make a really good theater piece, like a a rock opera or something like that. Mm -hmm. But just to put a band together, for one thing, I'd be going out acting as Mickey Finn. This is like my Sergeant yeah. Pepper. 
when the Beatles said, we're sick of being the Beatles and we want to say and do some things, let's, let's just, let's just make up this Sgt. Pepper's band. Let's be that. Yeah. So it's like you're content with like being totally a, a recording artist rather than, you know, like, you know, doing the recording and then going out live. Um, well, see, it's, one doesn't necessarily lead to the other. A lot of live bands never make albums. And there's a lot of very good recorded music that that is done by session musicians and things like that. I could have hired all session musicians and just sang on it or something. Yeah. But I didn't do that. It's it's it, it's all here. It's all there. So yeah, it's not it's not this or that. It's just yeah, I just I did some recordings. You know, I recorded some songs and put them together and made an album. So they're not even separate songs. It's beginning to end. You hit play at the beginning, you listen all through to the end. And one song leads into the next and it tells a story. So to even take that out and do that in a in a bar or something, it'd be silly. Yeah. And, like, I do get the comparisons, too, of, like, you know, to the Beatles, Sgt. Peppers, to Crime of the Century by Supertramp. And I'm going to mention another one, Tommy by The Who. Um, it really is... Um, kind of, you know, like, carrying on the tradition of, of that concept album. I'm looking forward to hearing um, what else you got in store well, you know, when it comes it, to RPM, It, it actually is a concept album, 100%, from beginning to end. Well, yeah. a lot of the ones that are called concept albums aren't. They have a title and a front cover that looks like whatever the title says, and maybe a couple of songs on the album, and then the rest of the songs could have just been on anything. Yeah. On both these, on both these albums, all that music actually flows and tells a story and yeah there's like a beginning and uh a climax resolution rising action etc etc every song on that record belongs on it as part of the story and even the liner notes if you look at the booklet you sit down and listen each song has its own page in the booklet with not just some nice looking picture but but each image specifically designed so that when you're listening to that song, you can look and get lost in that image. So it, it's a whole package. Yeah, and uh, some beautiful liner notes right over here. Uh, that's one thing I really do enjoy about getting CDs are uh, yeah. all the liner notes here, and yeah. they absolutely look gorgeous. Yeah. Now, uh, for people who want to get um, RPM 2 10 years later, whether it's hard copy or streaming, uh, where can they go? They can go anywhere <clears throat> online. Uh, jimfiddler.com is a good place to go uh, fiddler with one d f-i-d-l-e-r jimfiddler.com and any information about the launch on December 8th which is the anniversary unfortunately of the day John Lennon was shot and okay. it's, it's also the the, uh, the anniversary of the, the, the launch that we had at the loft for Gypsy wow that's crazy. So, yeah, any information about that and how you can sign up there and, and uh, attend? The, the launch is going to be online. We decided to do something a little different instead of having it in a local venue because we have so many friends around the world that would like that aren't going to be able to fly to St. John's and go, go to a local venue. So we're having it online. Okay. And, and uh, so go to jimfiller.com. And that's all there, and, and all the information about the CD. And if you get Volume 2 and you like it, uh, we, there's a lot of little Easter eggs in, in, in Volume 2 through the liner notes, including some QR codes that if you put your phone there and snip, 
one of them uh, gives you a uh, a a reduction. What's the word for that? Um, a discount. A discount on Volume One. So if you <laughs> if you buy the CD, the actual physical CD of Volume Two, which which would be included, by the way, uh, anyone who attends the launch online. <laughs> will get a copy, the, the actual physical copy, and I'll sign it if they want, no problem. And uh, if you scan that little QR code in there, you could go to uh, go to jimfiddler.com and, and get a discount on Volume 1, because once you hear Volume 2, you're going to want to know, what's this Volume 1 all about, you know? That's crazy. Well, Jim, I've learned so much about you throughout this conversation here on Next to Connect, and there's still a lot more that I want to tackle, but we're going to save that for another time. This won't be your last time on the podcast, I can guarantee you that. Jim Fiddler, thanks for joining me on Musical Connections. All the best to you, and congratulations on the release of RPM2. Oh, my pleasure. You keep up the good work, man. All right. Thank you so much. Cheers. It's always great to catch up with Jim Fiddler there. Go to jimfiddler.com to find out more about his virtual album release and everything else he has going on. Right now from RPM2, 10 years later, here's the lead single from that album. This is Peace of Mind on the Musical Connections podcast.
And that puts a bow on episode 51 of Musical Connections. A big thank you to Jim Fiddler for joining me as my guest on Next to Connect, and to all the musicians who contributed their tunes for newfound releases. Of course, you can follow me on my various social media channels for any information about either segment, and email me at musicalconnectionsnl at gmail.com for any further inquiries. Well, next week, we got another great episode lined up for you as we're going to air the first episode of our series of interviews that I conducted at Music Celebration Week 2023. We're going to be starting out with an industry professional who has been very, very busy over the past year, building up a very nice roster and holding off some great songwriter circles at the ship. We're going to be talking with Derek Sturge of Pharos Music. We're going to talk about how we started up Pharos Music and the roster that he's got put together, as well as the story of behind the songs. The most recent one is coming up November the 23rd at The Ship, and it features Angie Bulky, Mackenzie Critch, Aset the Power, and Kelsey Arsenault. It is a femme fatale powerhouse night at The Ship, coming up November 23rd. You can get your advance tickets now on Eventbrite, or you can get them, or get them at the door. Of course, if you want to tune into previous Musical Connections episodes, they drop every Tuesday at 12 noon, Newfoundland Standard Time, and you can hear them on your favorite podcast streaming services, whether it's through RSS, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much once again for connecting this week. I've been your host, Zach Snow. Stay safe and please be kind to one another, and until next time, safe fall. Oh, 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 oh,